Greetings, everybody. It's a great blessing for me to come to you today, bringing you the gospel of the grace of God. Today, we're going to be teaching from uh, Psalm 103. We're going to talk about the good deeds of God that we are to remember. I would like to welcome every person that is slotting in for the first time, as well as our regular viewers. It is good to just know the gospel of God's grace is going out and that people are hearing that message and that the life of God is formed and shaped in people every day through the gospel, through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us just pray together as we start our service. Father, I want to thank you for your love and your kindness and your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the love that you have towards us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you would speak powerfully through me today and just that people experience your life. Thank you for understanding that is broadened, lives that's enriched, and uh, a knowledge of your good news from where we can live, that it just manifests in our lives. Amen. Earlier today, and just move this microphone a little bit closer here. Um, earlier today, I, I ministered on Psalm 103 in our Afrikaans service, and it was just outstanding to see the message of the grace of God and how it relates to everyday life practical everyday life even into the political arena into every area of our life and how we can trust and rely upon jesus christ and i would like for all of you to um, to share in that so those of you that have watched the message earlier today you're going to hear it again uh, but now in english not in afrikaans now psalm 103 starts like this it says a psalm of david blessed uh, bless the lord O my soul and all that is within me Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, I remember when I would read that verse years ago, I would see it as a commandment. It was immediately a law. I must bless the Lord with everything in my life. I must bless the Lord. It was almost like the law, you know, like I'm, I must love God with everything that is in me. I must do all those things. It became like a commandment. It was something that David did out of a love relationship with God, something that he declared and what he said, which I believe was then written down by some, some scribes. They heard the king say it and they wrote down what he said. And out of this abundance of revelation, he spoke and said, you know, these things. Many times we think that this was, and it's used as a spiritual warfare method uh, or tactic wherein we must now speak to our soul. So our mind is then stressed out about certain things and then we speak to our soul. It's as if the one part of you speaks to the other part, commanding him to remember certain things about God. But I see this more as an outburst of a revelation that, that, that David had, wherein he basically said that, Bless the Lord, O my soul, or my life. I just want to say that the source of my being, uh, let that speak well of God and all that is within me. So I think he was talking about his life, his, his life and every, and he was just saying it in a way where he says, every area of my life, let that be unto the well speaking or the blessing of god let every area of my life always just say every part of me always say god is good let me always talk good about god why would you say such a thing it would it, it must be because of the revelation of the unending goodness of god and we're going to talk about that in great detail today on on this goodness of god and why david could call god good and who god was in the uh, babylonian mesopotamian time uh, and how the creation of the world works so we've got some deep stuff that we're going to talk about but it's going you're going to see it is something that's very practical that can be used in everyday life so it's david comes and he says bless bless the lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name now the word lord here um, is the word jehovah jehovah now i remember when i first heard the word jehovah um, as a 
born again believer and it was said as the name of God was as if my mind just cut it out and say just put that a bit on the shelf you know this Jehovah's Witnesses are a dangerous people you don't want to be associated with a wrong doctrine by saying now you know you call God Jehovah rather just say Lord and get over and done with it uh, Lord is good enough but the name of God is not Lord God's name is not the English word Lord the name of God is Jehovah according to this passage it says um, a psalm of David bless Jehovah O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name so God has got a name and that name is holy it is the word holy means to be set apart or different so God does have a name uh, the name and that name is set apart from the other names of gods that they were in that time and when David would say bless the Lord O my soul he said bless Jehovah bless Jehovah yud hey vav hey in the Hebrew the existing one the proper name of the true God it is said here by DBD definitions the proper name of the true God Jehovah yud hey vav hey that is uh, uh, what, what God is called and it's translated 6,000 times as the word Lord in the Bible where it one should actually just translate it as Jehovah the name of God or I would say the word Lord is not the best translation if we want to directly translate the name of God we would say the self-existing one the self-existing one bless bless the self-existing one the one who's got no beginning and no end O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name or let's bless the fact that he is self-existent and not dependent that makes him different than all the other gods and we're going to look at why it is like that and it says bless the Lord O my soul and forget not all his benefits that word benefits in the Afrikaans is the word valdade which means uh, good deeds forget not all of the good deeds that he has done for you or we can say if you want to use the word benefit there forget not how beneficial it is to have a God that is self-existent now <clears throat> let's get to the name of the Lord in 1850 I think it was about 1850 there was a archaeologist that went and was looking for the city Nineveh because in the 1800s it was the time of the enlightenment where people say that they are enlightened now and they know that all biblical stories are just myths they weren't somebody like Jonah there wasn't a city like Nineveh there was not a person like Noah there's not a, 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 a there was not a flood uh, Genesis all of it is myth there's no real people connected to these stories it is just mythology and then mythology was then seen as something that is not true and not real and not relevant where uh, if you really go and study out what myth truly is you find that it is a story about real people in a story form that does have relevance uh, and it was a way wherein people through oral traditions communicated certain truths and there's depths to it that is really beautiful and wonderful once you start to get into that but back to the person that uh, I'm sorry that I didn't uh, jot down his name to tell you who it was but this person went and found the city of Nineveh and when they found the city of Nineveh a lot of these enlightened people were now just uh, a bit embarrassed because here is the true city Nineveh now and as they were doing their excavations there they found a library and in this library they found the creation story the Babylonian or Mesopotamian creation story of how the world and the cosmos was created which is wonderful for us as Christians although the creation story differs 
uh, in a great way. There's some similarities, but it differs in a great way from ours. It gives context to what Genesis actually communicates. So this creation story is called the Inuma Elish. It means when on high, and which is the first words of this seven clay tablet story of how creation took place. And I want to just share with you a little bit on that creation story, and that's going to give you context on why a person like David uh, would um, would say, blessed is the name of the Lord, and why the name of God was so important. Now, I have not memorized all the different God's names, um, you know, of the Enuma Elisha. I'm just going to say God's in this case. The Enuma Elish starts out by basically saying that in the beginning, before any name was given or before anything was made that was made, there was just water. That's all there is. If you would imagine space, as far as the east is from the west, north and south, everything, there was just water. But there was two kinds of water. There was fresh water and then there was seawater. The fresh water represented um uh, uh, what, no, I forgot the English word, uh, a male, a male, I don't know what the uh, male, and then the, the, the salt water female. So, it, but there was nothing created. But as these waters would then flow together and where they touched and came into contact with one another, two gods were formed. So the gods were created ones. It wasn't as if any God was from everlasting to everlasting. It was just water. These waters also represented chaos. In the Jewish mind, as well as in the Mesopotamian mind, the minds of the people of that time, uh, like Abraham, which was of Ur, of the Chaldeans, which is where Iraq is now. And that was part of that Mesopotamian, Babylonian government area there, uh, the fertile, there was like a fertile area where they would farm and all those kind of things. There would be a lot of water. Now there is not anymore. There was a, a bit of a change in the climate. But um, back in, in, in those days, I mean, they, before they heard of Yahweh, there was not such a thing as a self-existing God. There was just gods that was formed and created from chaos. So the gods came forth, forth from chaos. Now, these gods then, the, the myth says, they had children, and then they formed other gods. These children gods, then like children are, they started, there was a naughty one amongst a lot of them, and then uh, they started to produce children, and then they became like evil, very bad, and noisy. So they would make a lot of noise and cause turmoil and those kind of things. And then the bigger gods decided, we're going to kill these children gods of ours and just uh, settle this thing that we can live in peace in the day and night, a day and night. Then when this, these uh, evil kind of gods find out about it, they attacked first and killed the person that wanted to, or not the person, the, the, the God that wanted to kill them. And then this lady got upset, the lady, big God now, got very upset, and she decided that she's going to uh, get another male God, and then they're going to have more gods, and they're going to have their own army and form this massive war in heaven, in the heavens, and then, um, you know, so they're going to have peace. But then it worked out that there was one of the gods called Marduk, which was also now the god of the Babylonians. So the Babylonians like to, this is how they say why Marduk was such a great god, which also would uh, give, make it logically good and uh, give reason for imperialism and all those kind of things where they could take over other people, other nations and their land and things because their god is greater than all the other gods. So there was this god Marduk and they came, these gods that wanted to go into war and they went to Marduk and say would you help us and lead us in battle and Marduk then said I will do this should you give all your authority to me 
Um, and then he went into battle and won the battle. In this battle, when he slayed this female uh, god goddess, he made the heavens and the earth of her corpse, basically, and cut her in two and then made a heaven and an earth. And then inside this heaven and the earth, he told all the gods that there were, which surrendered their authority to him, to work on the earth. They had to dig rivers and build mountains and do all of those those things. So these gods, maybe they now don't have so much turmoil anymore to a certain degree, but it was kind of the evil guys who won and, and all of that. And um, they now got themselves into a lot of manual labor. And as they started to work, it wasn't long before they filed a complaint with Marduk and they told Marduk, we can't work like this. This is not fair. We are gods. Then Marduk decided, okay, what I'll do is I will create humans. Now, we need to understand that Marduk needs service. He's a god, and these gods surrendered their authority to him, and they are now also subject to him and serving him. Then the gods were now the servants. They were working. But they felt that that was not right, complained to Marduk. And they said, okay, so each of you, your gods, you do have a responsibility and you have a jurisdiction on the earth. But what I'll do is I will create humans and I will create humans from one of the, from some of the blood of these slain gods. And he created humans and humans was then now, now made, but humans would not have the ability to live forever. They would be servants doing the work of the gods. And then Marduk removed the gods from the earth, placed them in the stars and in the heavens as gods, and the humans are now the servants. And that's how humans will be forever. They will be the slaves of the gods, basically. They have to do the service of the gods. And then when the humans don't do the service of the gods, the god can be angry because he's got a responsibility, and he can then punish the humans. And then these humans also, through their worship, they would basically feed the gods and give them food and all those kind of things. And they, these gods that was created gods from the oceans and the intercourse that gods would have had and all those kind of things, they had these slaves, humans, that was then obligated to serve them. Now, that sounds like a massive story, and you might say, Bertie, what relevance does, this, does that have to me? Now, I want to talk about Psalm 103 and why uh, David said, Blessed, uh, bless his holy name or set apart name. Every name of the gods was connected to, uh, to being created. And since they were created from the chaos of the earth, they were in some form or fashion dependent on what comes from the earth, I wouldn't say earth from matter, uh, because earth wasn't created when they came from the salt waters and their, the whole system as the myth goes. But our God is different. Our God is not dependent on the things of this, uh, this created order. It's not dependent on the world. It's not dependent on matter at all. Our God is outside of matter. Our God wasn't formed by the matter or from the matter and is not, de is, is not dependent on anything. Our God has been from everlasting to everlasting. Our God does not need servants to create mountains and streams. He creates by his word. And since our God creates by his word, he spoke and it was like that. He's got authority inside himself. He is called the creator. He is not created. He is the creator. It immediately puts man at a place where the reason why we are here cannot be defined inside the parameters where in the Mesopotamian Babylonian myths uh, uh, put man as just a servant on the earth. The Man had to then, according to Mesopotamian rituals, they built these um, and made these uh, 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 false gods or what we would call idols. Idols were then representatives of the true gods. And then they would, as they worshipped these idols as servants and slaves and worked for these idols, these images of the true gods, they were basically giving the gods what the gods needed. 
But God comes in the creation story and basically say that he made man as his image. Getting the whole system of servants needing to serve the gods as um, null and void, not needed. And that the, the, the images were basically then the presence of the God through which the God, the true God, Jehovah, would then bring life and order to the planet. So what we find in the name of God is that God and heaven is all in order. God is full of light, full of life, full of beauty, full of rationale, full of uh, a lo logic and everything that can bring life. He's got angels around him that sings his praises. We find the idea of holiness. We find also the idea in the New Testament and also as we read through the Old, talking about the angel of the Lord, referring to Jesus and so forth. We find a family feel in the beginning between Father, Son and Spirit. We find a unity uh, and a union there wherein God is only one, yet we find the concept of family there. We find peace. We find joy. That's the kind of thing we find there. That's the idea. And then this God comes to the, he creates the heavens and the earth. And then where there was chaos, where his kingdom was not yet manifested, he then brings order to the earth. And here David comes and he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be God who is self-existent, who is not the one that is dependent on our service, who is not the one that is dependent on our worship, which we find the Apostle Paul clearly elaborates on and talks about when he was standing on Mars's hill and he was giving his defense of the gospel, when he was standing in his apologetic of the gospel. And he was saying, why are you uh, uh, worshipping God by building all these temples? God doesn't live in temples made by man's hands. He is now, Paul, talking about Jehovah, the self-existing one. He says he is not even served with man's hands as though he needs anything. <laughs> that is what he's saying. He's neither in need of worship to find his existence as a God. He's got no beginning. He's got no end. He is life in himself and we have to do with a God that is not in need of a temple wherein he must be served or any of those things we are in we are actually having to do with a God that has created us according to Acts 17 in the hope that we would love the life that he wants to give us and then as we see and uh, uh see his life and who and what he is and how he wants to bring his goodness to us in giving us uh, life as we see that we would embrace that and so find the life put inside us a life that has got no beginning and no end wherein we will be co-sharers in the kind of existence that God has which is a existence that is from eternal life. That is what, what Paul said, and I do believe that there was something in all of this that David had when he said, bless the, bless the self-existing one all of my life, because none of the life that is manifesting in me doesn't originate from him. He says, bless his holy or set-apart name, which is the self-existing one. Are you not excited to know that you not you don't have a God Marduk, <laughs> which which is uh, in the gene God genealogy that comes from gods that was formed from a form of chaos, which is formed from matter in some form or a fashion that had you formed as a slave and a servant of other gods who cannot even who loses their temper and is angry and is in need of sex and is in need of all these things and worship and can be angry and then just kill some of the servants and all that aren't you happy 
Can you see how the Genesis account, wherein God made the heavens and the earth and brought order and manifested the order of heaven in the earth in a garden, a safe place, a place of delight, and then puts his people there from where he promises them eternal life, wherein he is now uh, uh, getting them to find his life through which he will bring this heavenly order to all the earth. Doesn't that sound much better? Doesn't that sound like good news? Doesn't that sound like the gospel to the Mesopotamians, the gospel in the time of the Babylon regime? preached to Israel, who was supposed to be a light unto the Gentiles. Yes, it is God's gospel that has been from the beginning, which Paul refers to as the gospel of God. Hallelujah. Sadly, today we find a lot of the residue of the Babylonian beliefs in our religious system, because when we ascribe uh, human attributes to the gods, and we read a scripture like here that it says God will not be angry forever and so forth. We mix that in in not truly understanding that that is simply human attributes ascribed to a God to try and explain who he is because we don't have language to explain who he is. We take that and then amalgamate that with the old Babylonian beliefs uh, which is so deeply embedded into man and we kind of make a Babylonian God out of Yahweh, which is described as one that needs these servants, that needs these slaves, that wants to beat you and punish you when you don't listen, that will deal with you according to your transgressions, that will not give you life, which will keep you mortal. Here we find now, with all of that said, uh, us coming to a place where we can understand a little bit of what verse 2 says, where it says, Bless Jehovah, O my life, and all that is in, uh, and forget not all his benefits or his good actions towards us. In the Babylonian time, when they thought of God, they didn't think of good actions. They thought of gods that does not really have a lot to do with man that live on their own in the heavens. One is on the moon, though others, others, the stars is where these gods live. That is their abode. They've got uh, 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 a job to do for the greater God on the earth. And now they've got these subcontractors, which is the human race that must do these works. And if they don't do it, the God is going to lose his temper and beat you and kill you and destroy you. But we find that God, Elohim, we find that Jehovah comes in and he brings a completely different picture of who he is. And he describes the creation story, the epic of Eden. He describes all of that in a way wherein he critiques the Babylonian system, which is still today alive in people's hearts through their unbelief in the message that was from the beginning. And from our many times Babylonian glasses, we look at the Bible, we read the Genesis creation account, and we re read the flood account, the flood narrative, and all those kind of things, and we ascribe things to God that doesn't belong to Him. And I think the reason why we ascribe it to Him is because we don't understand the original setting of the scriptures and how God was critiquing and correcting and preaching the gospel in those times because we not when we hear about the enumeration we hear about those things we think that that is an attack on the gospel it's not an attack on the gospel you you cannot destroy the gospel it is forever what we find here is that in a world of a lot of turmoil the only stability that there is is the self-existing one god himself 
who came and then he was in, in what the, the people at that time would understand is the chaos that they saw as chaos, where there's not order, where there's not a temple, where there's not a good jurisdiction and where there's not life and the order of life. He came and his spirit is over that. And whatever chaos there would be that man could bring forth, he comes and from there he brings the order that is not subject to matter the heavenly order which is forever which cannot fade and he brings it into this world for the purpose of preserving this world and the people thereof isn't it beautiful to know that and this is what david is saying forget not all the good deeds he's done and when he create when he in creation came and he walked in the earth he walked with man the good deed that he was doing was bringing the rule of heaven to earth he was creating a place he was taking the earth and he was creating a place where the rule of heaven would manifest by the rule of heaven, by God himself, where we can find what it is to have eternal life. Can you see how the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden? But the tree of life was not in these, these, these uh, other epics. The, if you go and read these epics, I did read some of them. Um, the tree of life was also always that which cannot be reached. It was outside of reach. It was something you cannot get. Somehow a snake had something to do with it. In, in, in one of the Gilgamesh epic, only Noah had uh, eternal life given to him, but he could not give it to anybody. And then it was lost again and stolen again. And it was always a message of man can never be immortal. The gods will rule over us. We're going to be slaves forever. But in God's story, it is not one of oppression. It is not one that is bad. His name is different than the names of the others, other gods. His name says, I don't need your service. I have come to provide a service to you. I want to give you life. Hear what it says here. Who forgives all your iniquities. So we find that our lives might be lives of disorder, uh, lives of disease, life, lives of iniquities. Iniquities here means the consequences of your sins. Disorder. You started out good. You made mistakes. And now you would just say there's just disorder. He says here, the God that is the self-existing one is the one who enters our realm. And when he speaks, he brings light and order, the light and order of life, which he gives as the one who serves the people. The Enuma Elise talks about gods that need servants. The Genesis story talks about a God who serves with life. Isn't that beautiful? It says here, who forgives you. Forgive means who delivers you from the consequences of your sins. Who heals your diseases. Diseases here I would liken to that which causes the sins and the consequences thereof which brings destruction uh, and chaos to your life. Here it, it is talking about a good God that forgives, brings order. He doesn't say you must now stop your iniquity. You must stop your sin like the Inumailish gods, like Marduk and all those folk that looks at your bad works and then command you to stop your bad works. Otherwise, he's going to upset wipe you from the face of the earth, not care for you. We find in the Genesis account, and when we look at uh, uh, iniquities and sins and, and all those things, we, we look more. And the whole idea, even in Genesis, when, when the flood was there, is more of a God that is concerned with a people that does not want to accept his order of life, which is a gift, and that will bear the consequences of the chaos they bring upon themselves. And then the Genesis story is about this God that is so good that basically comes to Noah and cries with him and say that people's hearts are, they, 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 they are flooded with iniquity above measure. And it is as if um, I will not strive with them anymore because they will not hear me anymore. And it's as if I'm giving them over to themselves unto self-destruction, which was the effect that their uh dishonesty and their 
their sin had on nature bringing a flood over themselves. But God, we find the, the creation story, God preserving a people, preserving a Noah, giving him advice on how to overcome the turmoil that man can bring on himself. And I believe that a lot of these things must have been in David's mind as well as practical things in his own life that was going on. And, and, and he would say, um, glory to the name of God, Jehovah, the self-existing one. Jehovah is God. The self-existing one is the one who rules and reigns forevermore. He is the one that brings light and life. Listen to what it says. Who, who redeems your life from destruction. It's not a story of how a God came forth from destructive forces of chaos, male and female, and that was just the consequences. And that's now this God comes forth who's got uh, the chaos of the waters also in his very character who cannot bring order. No, we find that a God that is not subject to the chaos of this world, who is of an higher order, whose name is set apart from the God of war, the God of fertility, the God of chaos, the God of um, peace, all those. We don't, we don't have God just have names just with human attributes. Um, I think it's called anthropomorphic or anthropomorphism, where you try and ascribe um human attributes to gods or animals or things like that where he's completely different above higher set apart not subject to the things of this world and the beauty we find is that when he was incarnated into the dust of this earth he did not he did not become subject to that forever and the disorder of this world. He elevated it and placed it at the right hand of God, giving us and the whole creation the hope of the life of the self-existing one, bringing life to all of us. Isn't that beautiful? Who, it says here, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Now, if you read this in the King James Version, it gives the whole, um, the way that this was written, the whole psalm, the, such a beautiful rhythm. And the rhythm is seen by the semicolons that the King James puts in there. And this is basically what he's saying. He says, forget none of his benefits, semicolon or colon. Then he's going to explain what these benefits are. Who forgives your iniquities, which is the healing of your diseases, which is, semicolon, the redemption of your life from destruction, which is to crown you with loving kindness, which is to crown you with tender mercies, which is to satisfy your your mouth with good things which is the renewing of your youth like that of the eagle where you see think you're going to go down into the dust of death where you will be raised up into glorification as the aim as the as the the the, um, the eagle would stand on the on the cliff and the wind just takes him up so what he's saying is we'll be glorified that's glorification language there who uh, the, um, then it goes on and it says the self-existing one executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed compared to the story of um, compared to the story where the creation story was all about, you know, the Numa what the Babylonians say, we find instead of making slaves and keeping them there, he's the, he is stopping mortality. In the Numa humans will be mortals and they're going to be mortal forever. Here, he stops our life from destruction. He's the one that does not bring destruction and he sees what we go through as oppression and he delivers his people from oppression. The self-existing one executes righteousness and judgment in delivering people from the oppression of sin and death. 
Isn't that absolutely beautiful? That is powerful. It's the, it's the life of God. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. What was the ways? The ways was, I'll deliver you. He was just talking about the ways of God here, David. He says, this is the ways. There was the Egyptian gods and there was all these, the pyramids and the pharaohs and all of that. And they were worshipping gods and they were worshipping all these afterlife gods. And, and it was so difficult, you know, to, to, to serve them and to be enslaved to them. He, he comes and he says, I hear the cry of my people and my way is to deliver them. And my act is to destroy the oppressor and to bring order and life to you, to give you a promised land wherein I keep my promise to bring you there. That is what he's talking about here. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Can you see how this anthropomorphic system is now applied to God, wherein human attributes is now, um, wherein he would basically say, well, let me just tell you, you would say your gods can become angry and we are the servants. But let me tell you, our God, the true God, who is not from the chaos of this world, who is not the created one, who is above, who then made us, created us as his creation with the purpose of bringing his life to us. This God is slow to anger. He's not like you. We would say, oh, you know, he's slow to anger. That means one day he's going to fly off the handle and get upset and, and kill people. That's what we think because this anthropomorphic language was used here. We must rather see this in the context of what it's speaking to. It's speaking to, it's speaking inside the language of the gods of that time in a human way, wherein they try to explain the attributes of this God. He's slow to anger. He's not one that gets angry because you have not worked as a slave to Marduk. He has come to serve you with life. And he's, the commandments that he has given, if we really understand the commandments, the commandments of the law was not given as things people must do in order for God to do something. It was given as the part that man had to keep in the covenant that God had with them in order to bring life. And the commandments was there to show to man that they are not gods in themselves by themselves but that God, the self-existing one, has promised them life and that he would give it to them. It was not for punishment reasons. It was for salvation reasons. It goes on, it says here, um, in verse 10, He has not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Blessed be the name, self-existing one, who is holy, set apart from all the other gods. Now, I want to conclude by saying this. I hope you can see, next week we will go more through Psalm 103 here. But I hope you can see how eternal life, eternal existence, without beginning, without end, how that plays a very big role in our gospel. How that plays a very big role in our theology. How that is what sets us apart from all the other gods and their messages. Let us come to a place where we see that eternal life is only found in Jesus. You know, I, I wrote something on Facebook. And for those of you that are not on Facebook, I'm just going to read this to you. And I want to end off by making this practical into everyday life. Unstable times? Be honest. When have things ever been stable? We look at what's going on with the COVID-19. We look at what's going on with the world and politics and all those kind of things. And we say unstable times. But be honest with yourself. When has times not been unstable? You know, uh, when I was young in the, uh, I mean, when I was a child, late 70s and beginning 80s, we lived a, 
uh, uh, we would say we lived, that was stable times. But if you really look back, it was not stable times. It was the apartheid times. It was the times of the oppression of a certain people group. We were involved in a war in Angola because the uh, communism was pressing in on South Africa. Uh, you know, through certain political parties and all those kind of things. We had riots and everything. We had uh, uh, sanctions against us. We could basically just buy Japanese cars and German cars because of sanctions against us. We couldn't get French cars, American cars, none of that. Uh, you know, we couldn't go and play rugby in any other place in the world because we were sanctioned. We were on the brink of civil war in South Africa. That's not stable times. And Many people now wish back for those times saying the good old days of stability. It's not stable. Do you think back then the economic growth was stable? No, it was under the threat of destruction. Now we've got the same thing. The Ameri the, 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 in the, Ameri the Americans, be honest with yourself, just brutally honest. When has there ever been true stable times? There is not such a thing. It has never been. It is, a, it is an illusion. Stable times in the world, times of stability, where we politically can observe things as stable, is called, it's a fairy tale, man. It's a fairy tale. It cannot be. My son the other day went to um, the university, I sent him for a course to uh, Switzerland. He came there and spoke to the Swiss. The, and, and he spoke to the different students there that are from Europe and these countries we only can dream to have. And they just all the time feel that they are on the brink of absolute disaster because of the instability that there is. Where is it stable? China? No. Japan? No. America? No. South America? Africa? Where? I've never been to a country where there was stability in my life. Never. This is what I wrote to you. Unstable times, be honest. When have things ever been stable? According to God, things has always been stable. Because according to God, he's busy bringing forth his life to people. And his plan is always going to work. It's never, he's never been off course. Stability is in God. As I've explained, holy is his name. The self-existing one, not part or born of the chaos. Who has now come and lived in us? Who is the voice of life over us, our sure destination of life politics according to politics and the systems of this world i wrote things have never been stable but could be if the correct person or political party gets elected i remember when i was in um, hungary i preached there a few times such a beautiful city in budapest and i lived in a uh, uh, there i stayed in a it was like these communist blocks, but it was like the smarter ones. And I stayed there with an old lady, about 90 years old, in, in her room. So she gave me, she stayed in the little room and gave me her bed. And I stayed there and people were really poor and, and everything. And <clears throat> this was now already after the Iron Curtain has fallen and everything. I preached there, let's say, six, six years, eight years ago. And... Um, then people came for a meal. Interesting, this lady, she was 90, 90, about 90 something, I guess, 90 years old. She couldn't speak one word English. But at night, if people weren't invited over, she sat on the one side of the table and she would just have a conversation with me. She would just talk and talk and talk. I mean, we'd talk one hour. She would talk and ask questions in her language and then I would answer in Afrikaans. Because I know if I speak English or Afrikaans, she should understand nothing. We would talk like that for an hour every night. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but what we could feel is the excitement of the gospel. There was a language that was higher than our language, although we didn't understand. There was a stability that was greater. It was born in the name of God. man. Um, but then one lady came for a meal there and I asked her and she grew up under communism. I said to her, what is communism? She said to me, she leaned over like that. And she looked to the left and looked to the right if somebody doesn't see her. And she said, it's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. And I want to say to you, stability in this world politically and all those kind of things 
It's a fairy tale, my friend. It's never going to be. It's like saying the ocean, the whole ocean in the world is going to be calm. It's never going to be until Jesus returns. The only stability, the only stability we as believers have. As believers, we are living in the stability of God. According to Jesus, everything was stable when he was in the storm and there was nothing to fear. I'll end off by reading the first verses of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all the good deeds that he has done, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. You read verse 1 and 2. Bless the self-existing one, Jehovah, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his set-apart name, the self-existing one. Speak well of, in the Hebrew here it says, Aleph Tav, Jesus, the self-existing one, O my soul, and forget not all the good that he does. Amen and amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness and your kindness. I want to thank you for your love and your life. I want to thank you for your holy name. Jehovah God, thank you that your name is separate from the names like Marduk and Zeus and all those gods that comes from the chaos of this world but that we can believe in a God that lives forever, that's got no needs, that is a servant, a giver, a giver of life. And thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we can find our identity in you. And you lift us up where we belong, which is not away from earth, but in your life while we are on earth. Thank you that we can, in the storms, rest in the fact that if the storm is calmed or not, we go into the other side because of you. And thank you, Lord, that you can teach us that, yes, if we wake you up, you can calm the storm. But you also teach us that we don't have to find our identity anymore in a calm storm or not, stability or not, because... Our stability is the surety of your faith. Thank you for your faithfulness towards us, God. Amen and amen. Thank you so much that I could serve you with this message today. And um, I ask that if this has blessed you, put a like on it on uh, YouTube there. And uh, also you can click that bell there and you will get all the messages that I put out during the week. Uh, because I put messages out regularly that is all in line with the good news of Jesus Christ. None of the messages that I make will ever be legalistic, law-driven uh, message wherein it is about a sweet by and by just one day that you can attain unto should you just work hard enough for God. It is all, every message is about the self-existing one coming to earth, bringing us life. That's what it's all about. So if you want to hear more about that, uh, follow me on, on follow Dynamic Love Ministries on YouTube. And if you would be so kind to put a like on it, um, it just helps with the, uh, um, you know, the algorithms and sharing this message with others. Know that you are deeply loved by God. Amen.